As digital communications continue to become increasingly important tools in engaging stakeholders and supporters, having the right visuals that draw people in is critical. For that reason, today we are bringing back an episode from November 2018 about visual storytelling, featuring Ira Horowitz, the founder of Corner Shop Creative. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. So welcome to the BBCon Lounge podcast. If you're already not listeners to the podcast, hopefully you will be after today. You can subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever great podcasts are found. And to join me on this episode is Ira Horowitz with Corner Shop Creative, and we're going to talk about visual storytelling. But since we're going to be spending the next half an hour together, Ira, maybe tell folks a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks. My name's Ira Horowitz. I'm the founder of Corner Shop Creative. Uh, I've been uh, involved in the industry for many years. I've uh, been working on many BlackBot products, actually, since about 2006. Um, so I uh, started working in the Convio platform uh, back then. So uh, very familiar with a lot of the tools and products. Uh, worked at several nonprofits, have been in communications, fundraising, and advocacy for the last almost 20 years. And uh, yeah, happy to be here today. Great. So I know we hear a lot about the importance of storytelling and why nonprofit organizations really need to sort of fine-tune how they do storytelling. You're bringing an element to this, which is about the visual storytelling aspect. Explain that. How can we understand, wrap our heads around the idea of, of visual storytelling? Yeah. So everybody knows the, the old adage of that a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, that's actually wrong, though, because a picture is worth about 60,000 words, um, because uh, studies have shown that the human brain processes images about 60,000 times faster than it does plain text. So if you're trying to communicate your message, you're trying to communicate your story, your mission, what your organization does, uh, you're going to have a lot more effective time communicating that through images as opposed to just describing that through plain text. So are you suggesting that we shouldn't spend lots of time handcrafting our paragraphs of well-intentioned copy and just replace it with photos of cats and dogs or, you know, what, what are you suggesting? Yeah, yeah those, well, <laughs> those cats and dogs do a lot. That's a, a great tactic. And if you have those beautiful images, it certainly can be helpful. The best method is actually to do both. The studies that I've seen have said that text accompanied with images actually do a lot better. People process that information three or four times more faster if they're looking at both images and text. So if you're like that IKEA instruction that just has the visuals, those aren't as good. Or if you're just describing it in text, it's also not as good. You need both to really process it effectively. Yeah, so really it's that, it's that combination of the text plus the visual and, and how you're using that to tell a particular story. Right? Absolutely. And, and yeah. Give us some examples. So organizations who are trying to get better at, at that combination of visual storytelling, how do they start to put in place those basic building blocks or, or really build a strategy around better visual storytelling? Yeah, so there are a lot of great tips and, and tools that you can do. Um, the first thing that I always say is any good story starts with a good character. You need a strong character in or your a story. Villain. Or a villain. That's the other part yeah. of it. So you're, you're working ahead. But yeah, you need both a character and a villain. You need some sort of conflict. And that villain doesn't have to be a person or an evil person. It can be some 
concept or issue or, or something that you're confronting. So, you know, food banks, the villain there is obviously hunger. As you don't want people to be hungry, you want to make sure they know where they're getting their next meal from. And so you can do it. Um, there's lots of great visuals. Um, we worked with a great organization, uh, Access Now, and they, did, uh, they were doing a campaign about surveillance and what's going on. And they actually used some imagery of Batman and Joker um, as a great way to kind of communicate and show that hero villain that there's something going on. And so that's usually where I recommend starting is making sure you have that, uh, those great building blocks of a good story and finding the right imagery that can, uh, that can convey who the hero is, which is ideally you and your ideals and issues, uh, as well as who the villain is. So kind of painting that as, as it. So sometimes a lot of organizations, if they're doing advocacy, the villain might be Congress or something like that. Um, and, uh, as so, an example. As an example, of course. So um, they may not be. But, um, but yeah, so you, making sure you have both that, that hero and villain in your story. Yeah, it's a good point. Often I've heard sometimes organizations in their communication tend to make the organization the hero. Yeah. Or they make the cause the hero. When especially when we're talking about engaging with donors and supporters, yeah. it's making the donor the hero of the story. Can you talk about ways in which you see organizations be successful making that transition to who is the hero in the story to, yeah. to making it more donor centric? Absolutely, and and there's a lot of great ways to do this. Um, you know, certainly on social media is where we've seen this the most. Is where people will post quick vignettes of ways that individuals who are members of their community have actually engaged with that organization, with that mission, to kind of tell a story. So. One of my favorite organizations, they might be out here, Canine Companions for Independence. Um, I know they do a great job of just sharing those stories of how their uh, assistance dogs do a fantastic job of really changing and transforming the lives of the people who they're, who they're meant to help. And so using lots of imagery, showing how those, in this instance, how those dogs are helping the people do various tasks of even like answering the phone, getting the mail, things like that, that um, are great. And just showing a visual of that is way more powerful than, than even just describing some of the, the, the text that's going on. So. Now, when organizations are creating this content that has a really compelling visual element to it, I know oftentimes organizations struggle with the challenge of, well, we don't have a lot of photographic or image assets to use. Yep. And then maybe on the opposite side, we don't want to just use stock photography that we all see people sitting around a table or yeah. People who wouldn't are not at our organization, who are fictional characters. What are things you found that are successful approaches to sort of building up an asset library of images and other visual content that can be used over time? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big challenge, and especially many organizations they don't have that designer on staff, or they you know they don't have the the big image library, but. That's the first thing I'd recommend people invest in is, is, you know, if you have a major event or if there's something that's really going to tell your story effectively, hire a professional photographer to come there and take a few pictures. Or, you know, iPhone technology has gotten so, so big. One of the best storytelling campaigns that I've seen is actually uh, through Apple where they did that shot on an iPhone 6 campaign. Yeah. And that was a great way of telling a story. It wasn't necessarily showing the features of the phone. It was showing what the phone was yeah. capable of. And it told people stories of how it impacted their lives without getting into this is what your phone can do. And so it's a great storytelling. And so there's so much that your phone can do in, a, in and of itself that, you know, just taking that time to invest in those photos. 
That yeah. being said, there are some great free services out there as well. Um, Pixels is a fantastic uh, free stock photo yeah, service. royalty free. Royalty yeah. free, and it's a, a great service there. Um, Getty Images uh, a few years ago started offering free images to nonprofits. So anybody can take advantage of those beautiful, amazing Getty photos that are out there. Uh, you do have the photo caption there if you don't want to pay for it. But again, it's still a resource that's out there for many nonprofits to take advantage of. But I think of. to your point, having authentic content yeah. really is content that comes from the organization. And, and yeah. all of us in our mobile devices have professional grade equipment. Exactly. Right. I've got a high-end Canon camera at home, but I can shoot just as great material on my iPhone or an Android as well. And think of your staff members have it. And so I think it's always a good idea when you're at that event, when something's taking place, just take a bunch of photos. Yeah. You can edit it later. You could curate it. You could decide what you want to use and what you not to. But I think a lot of organizations I found, if you say, hey, for the next 30 days, let's everyone on staff take photos of our mission in action or things we're doing put it all in a Dropbox folder, put it somewhere in a common storage area, and then you can go through and pick and choose what you want to use, right? Absolutely, yeah. And that's certainly the best way. And I think it's important to designate that one or two people to really do it. Um, you know, oftentimes, if you don't assign someone to do it, nobody, nobody does, does it. it. Yeah. So uh, you want to make sure that someone's designated and, you know, make sure it's not the person who's running around wearing 30 hats. Somebody's designated, I'm going to take some great photos. I'm going to take some video even and, and really showcasing what people can do with yeah. it. The other way I've seen organizations sort of acquire that content is through photo contests yeah. where they reach out to supporters and advocates and they run, hey, in November, we're going to do a photo contest. Send in your photos related to maybe what the organization's doing. And it's like instant content bonanza, right? Because Absolutely. now you've got all this stuff and it, you've gotten it from you know supporters and constituents who are engaged with the org. So they're passionate about the cause and and they're also adding yeah. to that library of assets. Yeah, that's an incredible engagement activity that I always love and encourage people doing. Um, we worked with uh, Our Bodies Ourselves. They did a great job um, where ha they had people take pictures of themselves showing what they learned from this, this iconic book. And uh, they had a feed going on their site so that it was kind of constantly updating. And they had hundreds, if not thousands, of, of images up there impact, showing the impact of their book and their message and their health information had on various people. So uh, it's a fantastic tactic. It's, it's always something that's engaging. That's also a great tactic on the social network. So there are obviously full social networks with millions of people on Instagram or Pinterest. And to engage those communities, that's a fantastic way of rather than you needing to go out and, you know, take those photos at the events, it's always great to have them come to you. And organizing and running those events on something like Instagram is, is a very effective tactic. Yeah, it's a great point. Get people to do those types of, of either a caption campaign or a yeah. photo campaign on one of those social media sites. Yeah, absolutely. Now, earlier you talked about the importance of how do you match up the right copy and content with the right photos. Okay, sounds good in theory. How do I start? How do I practice? Yeah. Could you walk through some examples of things maybe you've done with nonprofit organizations to get them more comfortable and maybe level up their skill set in terms of doing that? Yeah. So there's lots of great tactics. It is it is a hard thing to do because you need to kind of take yourself outside of your issue and outside of what you kind of are in the weeds of and, and need to kind of take a step back and really look at it and boil things down to a simple message. Um, I think that's the most important thing is you don't want to get overly complicated. You want to communicate a single point and a single message yeah, when keep you're... Keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. Um, 
a great campaign. We actually didn't do it, but uh, it was through the ACLU where they had a, a Let's Talk campaign where they used the hashtag Let's Talk, and it was to raise awareness that people shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about uh, abortions. They should be able to speak freely about what they've gone through and, and be able to tell their story. And so it was a great campaign a few years ago that they did. Um, I remember the visuals that it was literally just a person's mouth with a thought bubble saying, let's talk. And, um, and then I think there was like a caption, abortion doesn't have to be an, a, a dirty word or something. So it really kind of went in that direction of, of just being able to communicate that message very simply uh, and just, you know, being able to get it out there. Yeah, and oftentimes we see there's a tendency with hashtags or other things to overcomplicate the message or use jargon, lingo that maybe is internal to the organization, but someone who's new to the cause or isn't as familiar, that's a bit off-putting because it may not just be familiar to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, another great point that I always like doing is that, um, especially with visuals, people should feel something. Uh, They should, you know, feel inspired. They should feel um, happy, sad, angry, um, whatever you're trying to convey. And I always recommend that before you even start looking for it, you think of what emotion and what issue is really, what do you want people to get out of it? What's that end goal and what's that end emotion that you want people to be feeling? And then you look for images that make you feel that way. Talk a little bit about uh, the idea of, how do you iterate or fine-tune your story over time? I would have to imagine that some of this is you're testing. You may test certain content or copy. What are ways to sort of test to improve over time that are, are good recommendations for organizations? Yeah, that's a, a great idea. Um, you know, metrics are always the best uh, indicator of, of success, as you're very well aware of. So Otherwise, you're guessing. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, yeah. you're just guessing and figuring it out. And so, um, you know, it's always important to, you know, I mentioned thinking of that end goal. Um, creating what your actual results are going to be. What do you want to be hitting with the, with the target as you begin telling your story with these images? And so, you know, I always look, depends on which channel you're doing, but if you're, you know, engaging on social media, looking at likes or shares or, or various things like that, um, if you're posting on your website, there are great A-B testing tools out there. Google optimizes one for free that anybody can kind of get. Um, there are obviously other paid premium ones, but, you know, testing various messages and see what your audience resonates with most. And if you post something and it conveys this single emotion and people really respond to it, then continue to do more like that. Yeah, no, it's a great point. You know, oftentimes the response rate on social media is a very short period of time. And so you might test something there to find out, is that the imagery and the content we use in an email campaign that maybe has a longer duration and then test again to find out what we might do in direct mail, direct marketing, or other programs that you're not just guessing. You've done some testing in, in some different channels, yeah, right? Absolutely. And thinking of the audience of those channels, too. You know, there are d- different um, social media networks, you know, have drastically different um, demographics. And so thinking of something like Instagram and Pinterest, which skews way more female and younger and things like that, versus something like Twitter or LinkedIn, which tends to be older and more male. And yeah. so thinking about those differences as you're kind of planning and figuring out what yeah. you're, what you're, what's going to work best for your campaign. Or Friendster, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, Anyone I haven't, haven't. Friendster account? No. no I think mine's deactivated. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you mentioned this before, but another barrier sometimes is organizations say, you know, I don't have a full-time graphic designer or, or things like that. Again, how can they think about, you know, taking advantage of either stock imagery or their own imagery that they're shooting on, on digital devices to to be able to take make use of it even if 
Yeah. They've not got a lot of staff members or the resources or time to, to do this. Yeah, um, I always recommend looking at some online resources. Um, basically, if, if you want to do something, there's an online tool for it, pretty much. Um, or, and, an app. Or, or an app. And yeah. so there's going to be quite a few. Um, you know, even tools like social media, uh, like in, uh, Instagram, has built-in uh, image filters and things like that. You can do minor editing right there. So even if you're your photos aren't professional, aren't perfect and fine-tuned, you can upload them to the app and they look professional and they look great. There are other services out there um, like that, that you can design like infographs. We haven't really gotten yeah. into data visualization, yeah. but a, a great technique as well. And so there's a bunch of them out there that some are even free, um, some have small fees to it, but there are you know, great services out there that really help people kind of design and create their own, uh, their own stories. Yep. All right, so you said infographics, so we got to go there now. I know you're going to... So there was a period of time where everyone fell in love with infographics and everyone felt like, we need to do our own infographic. We need to turn everything into an infographic. Talk about the pros and cons of where does it make sense to use infographics? Where does that make a lot of sense? But also, where does it stay away, don't go there, not the right tool yeah. for a particular story? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I do love infographics. Anything that you can visualize is, is fantastic for me, but there are certainly limits. You know, I recommend it that any time you have statistics, um, you know, if you just want to list a bunch of statistics in your email message or something like that, it's going to be a lot, it's going to be harder for people to process that, harder for people to read it, get through all of it, because it tends to be dense and nuanced um, when you start saying 58% of your community does X or whatever. Yeah. And so if you can visualize that in a way, then I think that's always going to be the best thing. So rather than saying 25% of the, you know, the world, uh, homes in the world are, don't have access to internet yet, um, which is a true stat, you know, you can put a one in four and show one person in red and three in blue yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so just visualizing that kind of data, I think, is re really where infographics and data visualization really excel as well as if you're trying to present a lot of information. If it's really just one stat, then sometimes that can be processed pretty easily with text. But when you start getting into three, four, and, and even more than that, that's when people start glazing over and losing it, and you need some sort of visualization to present that. Or also when you have really complex topics and you're trying to educate the audience at large or even yep. your own constituents about something. Um, I think I've heard it said before, you know, stories are just artisanal data, yeah. right? It's handcrafted stories. There's a there's a data element to it, but like you said, the one in four yeah. versus 25%. People can grasp one in four and how you visualize that sometimes better than percentages or, or staying away from things like getting into uh, higher level statistics or yeah. talking about quartiles. Like most yeah. people, when you say, <laughs> well, it's in this quartile, you've just lost 90% of people. Absolutely. Versus you can explain that in a much easier way. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that really complex data is when, when you start maybe wanting to get away and, and kind of not necessarily bury it, but, you know, at least not put it as that intro, entry point for people to kind of get into your issue. You want to start with, again, that simple basic message and communicate that well. The other aspect that I love uh, for using infographics for is anything with a map. Um, I'm a very, again, yeah. very visual person. I love maps. And so if you're trying to say like 50% of the United States is doing something, you can easily just put that on a map of the United States. If you're focusing on North America, you can, you know, Canada, New Mex Mexico, and United States are very obvious and clear indicators. And just by putting numbers on top of them, it tells a much quicker story that people are able to process much faster. Yeah. And so we've talked about some of the positives. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's the dark side of infographics? Where have you seen things go horribly wrong? Or maybe what are some lessons learned that 
maybe people can avoid disaster with infographics? Yeah. I always, um, it's when you start getting too much data, when you start putting everything that you have, if you have a mountainous report that's several hundred pages or something, and you try putting about 40 stats in this like insanely long infographic, people aren't going to get down to the bottom. They're going to start at the top. Maybe they'll see those first few, but they're really not going to get further down. So when you have a lot of data, um, really trying to break that up into different pieces and different components, because again, it just, people get lost once you start presenting too much data and too much statistics or information at them. Now, the the grandfather and grandmother of the infographic is the annual report. Yes. So can you talk about how you've seen organizations over time sort of breathe life and energy into the typical old annual report by the use of visual storytelling, infographics, bite-sized nuggets of stuff, as opposed to pages and pages of text and charts that no one wants to read? Yeah. That's a great way that that really nonprofits have embraced it as well as as well as for-profit companies as well is is using that annual report. So first of all, I recommend everyone convert to a digital annual report. Um, it is the way that people are going. Um, if you have a manual one, people will maybe skim through it once and then probably toss it in their recycling bin. They flip through the last three pages and see if their name is in the donor <laughs> list. And exactly. So uh, you want to be making sure that it is digital. It's going to be available and accessible to more people. People can continually revisit it. I always recommend, again, breaking it down into those bite-sized components. Um, there's a lot of great web tactics these days of parallax effect, so kind of the scrolling yeah. function of uh, as you go down a page and really break the never-ending scroll. Exactly. Eventually yeah. it'll end, hopefully. Yeah, but eventually <laughs> you get, yeah. Um, like frames and early website design. We yeah. fell in love with frames and then that eventually died out like the dinosaurs. Absolutely. And that's a fantastic way of just kind of telling the story because you're infinitely kind of scrolling down. You're seeing that next thing. Um, I've seen some really good ones that even guide you down. So it has like maybe a dotted line that as you scroll, it kind of points the arrow in the right yeah. direction of and, and points you to the statistics that you want to see and, uh, and want to guide people to because oftentimes there are competing visuals. But you don't want to go into that way. You know, there's a phrase death by PowerPoint where, you know, people will put, you know, 50 things on a slide and, you know, have 100 uh, bullet points there and yeah. read every single one. And you want to avoid that um, when, you're, when you're telling your story and especially in infographics. So just making sure that you're just clearly and concisely uh, communicating that message and guiding, guiding people through that story. Yeah, it's a good point. Oftentimes, just because you can do it yep. doesn't mean you should. We often see examples of there's sort of the, the visual design guru, Edward Tufte, who talks about chart junk, Yeah. you know, pie charts that have 27 segments and therefore it's completely illegible and intelligible, right? Right. What are some common things there you found in just sort of visual graphics and visual design where do's and don'ts, right? Do this, don't do that. How do you get back to, to keeping it simplified on what the, the main message is? Yeah. You know, again, just keeping it simple, use very simple uh, things, you know, for, I mentioned the one and four, you know, using like maybe the icon of, of little people. Don't be afraid of using emojis, actually. is yeah. a, a really great way. You know, people know what emojis are. You have a smiley face and a frowny face. It's simple and concise. Um, and anybody can actually design that because emojis are free to anybody. Yes. You don't really need a graphic design degree. Open-sourced emojis. Exactly. What amazing world we live in. <laughs> I know. It's pretty great. So, um, so not being afraid. So that's definitely a good thing. Um, again, getting into the complex is really what I always just avoid. That if, if it's... Uh, message or theme, I, I'm not thinking of one off the top of my head, but if it's just a concept that's going to be really hard to represent graphically or you have to have multiple steps to kind of get to your emotion or your thought of what you want people to convey, then uh, it's just, it's basically gotten too complex. Yeah. So. 
Now, one of the things we've seen become very popular in recent years is this use of uh, a welcome series or a series of emails or communications over time that are, sort of have a common thread. Have you seen examples of organizations who've used a welcome series or they, they've used a series of messages where there's a, there's a common story that's being, so almost yeah. like a story arc that's being told across them successfully? Yeah, um, so another great element of a story is it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's what nonprofits need to do is you need to make sure that you do have your full arc when you're, when you're telling your story. Um, the ones that I've seen that have done best are around elections or campaigns. Um, I love the uh, vote.org. They did a great job yeah. around registering people to yeah. vote. They're nonpartisan, so it really doesn't, you know, they're not specifically going for an ideology, but they do a great job of getting people when it's time to register to vote, you know, reminding them today, uh, there's a ton of information today because today's the last day to register in many states. In many states. Yeah. So um, what is everyone doing here to go register? To I vote? know, make sure everyone is, but um, but it is, uh, they do a great job of just telling that arc that it's, you know, 30 days away, 20 days away. Yeah. Today's your last day. The election's coming up. Have you shared it with your friends? You know, and just telling that full arc of that story. Yeah. Around and those are just sort of vote. almost like time bound campaigns, which, you yeah. know, work very successfully for fundraising, but that same concept can apply to advocacy or anything really with a deadline. Yep. You can drive people towards that with a reminder that's 90 days out or 30 yep. days out or, yeah. you know, last today's the day. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Around fundraising is the is a fantastic time to do that. Um, you know, year end is usually the, the time that people do it, but um, it can be effective throughout the year as well that if you're doing a campaign and there's something urgent going on, even if it's a deadline that not necessarily you've made up, but something that, that, that your organization has decided is important, um, you can certainly do. And using external events, using your own internal budgetary events or or uh, internal practices is always a great great way to just create that urgency and, and tell that full story. Yeah, especially if you've got a goal or, or really anything that you're trying to drive towards. Yeah. Ira, these are really great examples. Appreciate you uh, joining us on the Social Get Engaged podcast uh, and being here at BBCon. And thanks for everyone in the crowd for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Great. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Great.